Good morning. Uh, like you said, my name is Will Wood. Um, big parents did name me after two vowels, or two verbs, I know. Um, I'm really glad to be here with you this morning. Pastor Joe has given me this opportunity to share uh, what's on my heart and what God has been teaching me over the last few years, and I'm excited to share that with you. Let me answer a couple questions first off that I know everybody thinks. No, we are not related. Uh, there's no relation. That doesn't mean I haven't used the last name to try to weasel my way into family dinners. Because, you know, if you've been to a dinner at the Woods House, you know it's worth weaseling your way into, so you do whatever you have to do. Um, and also, yes, I did specifically come to this church because uh, the pastor had the same last name as I did. I was new in town, I was looking at churches, and I saw the pastor at last name of Wood, and I thought, well, you gotta trust the guy last name of Wood, so why not? So, all right, so today we're gonna, I'm gonna start with telling a story. We're gonna, uh, we're gonna talk about the prodigal son. So before we do that, though, uh, let's open up in a word of prayer. Dear God, what a pleasure it is to be in your house. What a pleasure it is to be with your people, your family, Lord, and to be here to honor and to praise you, Lord. And I pray that these words... They reach you like a sweet perfume, and I pray that you use them to, to do whatever you need to in the hearts and minds of those who hear them, Lord, and I pray that you, you use me as a vessel, that you get the glory, and that I become less, and you become more, Lord, and that you just take this, and you turn it into something worthwhile and that people can use. I pray all these things. Amen. All right, so like I said, we're going to start in the prodigal son. Most of you know the story of the prodigal son. It's pretty well known. Uh, but we're going to go ahead and read it here. Uh, I've got my Bible here. You can also read it on your mechanical devices. It will also, of course, be up on the screen as usual. So we're in Luke 15. We're going to start with verse 11. It says, Jesus continued, There was a man who had two sons. The younger one said to his father, Father, give me my share of the estate. So we divided the property between them. Not long after that, the younger son got together all he had, set off for a distant country, and there squandered his wealth and wild living. After he had spent everything, there was, a servant, there was a severe famine in the whole country, and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to a citizen of that country, who sent him to his field to feed pigs. He longed to fill his stomach with the pods the pigs were eating, but no one gave him anything. When he came to his senses, he said, How many of my father's hired men have found, had food to spare? And here I am starving to death. I will set out and go back to my father and say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son and make me like, make me like one of your hired men. So he got up and went to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion for him. He ran to his son, threw his arm around him and kissed him. And then the son said, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. We're going to stop right there for a minute. And I want to, kind of, want to kind of talk about why this is important to me and how I connected that by telling you a little bit of my own story. Um, I was raised in a very Christian household. Um, we were the kind of people who, like, when the door was open in the church, we were there. We were there for Sunday morning Bible school, there for Sunday morning church. We were there for Sunday evening youth group. Wednesdays, my church had a special church service every Wednesday. My father mowed the lawn of the church, and I would go with him to that. There was drama club. There was basketball leagues. There were all kinds of things that we did at the church. We lived at the church. My parents were bowlers also, so it was like I spent all my time in my youth between the bowling alley and the church, which are two incredibly different environments if you've never been. But I turned out okay. Um, 
So we grew up in the church. My parents were, were uh, small group leaders. They mentored junior hires. I mean, that's a saintly thing right there. They mentored junior hires. They, they, uh, my mother led the drama group. I'm pretty sure it was just so she could put me in the plays next to the girls that I liked. But she did it anyway. Um, we were constantly in church, constantly serving. And I was going to be a pastor when I was a kid. All my friends were going to be pastors. We were all going to go to the same Bible college. We were all going to graduate. We were all going to be pastors. We were going to set the world on fire for Jesus. That was the plan. And then as I grew up, something changed. Uh, when I was a freshman in high school, my mom got sick. Um, it took a while. There was a lot of doctor visits, a lot of questions about what might be wrong, what was going on. But eventually, it settled on pancreatic cancer, really aggressive, aggressive cancer. And uh, as she kind of slowly declined in health, I was still okay. Because, you see, I, was, I, was, I had faith. I was strong in my faith. And I believed with everything that we were doing, everything that my parents did, everything that we did as a family, there was no way that God was going to let my mom die. She was too valuable on this earth. And we would hear about a church in California who the whole congregation spent an hour just praying for her healing. How the local like religious leaders of our town all got together and anointed her with oil and prayed healing over her. And every day I was like, man, God's going to do something crazy here. He's going to do some miraculous, crazy things. But he didn't. May 24th, 1994, my mother died. 28 years and about five days ago. And I didn't know what to do. It wasn't just that I was upset that I'd lost my mother. I was angry, because I felt like I'd been lied to. I felt like I'd been sold a bill of goods. I felt like I'd been sold something that didn't happen. God was supposed to have taken care of us. And he didn't. At least that's what I saw. So it hurt. And over time, I walked away. After high school, I stopped going to church. I walked, I went on in my own life, much like the prodigal son. I took my things and went out into the world. And like him, everything was fine for a while. I lived a pretty good life. But things started to get ugly. Things started to get hard. I got to a point where I was like, man, I can't remember the last time I felt supported. I felt like people loved and cared for me. And then I thought, you know what? I do remember the last time. It was when I was in church. So I went back to church. And I would go back, and I would get involved, and I would be in a group, and I would do all this stuff, and I would serve, and everything was great, but it just wasn't the same. And eventually, things would get better, I'd feel better, and something would come along, and I'd stop going. You know, I'd have friends out in the world, so I'd stop going for a while, and then I'd come back, and you know, it happened a few times. And then I moved to this little town in Kentucky, way away from my family, way away from anybody I knew, and I found myself once again being like, man, I've got no one here. I'm all alone. And so I found a church. I looked online for a church, and I saw there was a church pastored by a guy named Wood. And again, <laughs> how can I not trust a guy named Wood? So I came to this little church, and I found a family, and I found people who supported me, and I found people who cared for me. And it was great, but still something was missing. Something wasn't right. I couldn't figure it out. I felt like I was missing something. And then one day I was reading this parable that I'd read a ton of times. We've all heard the prodigal son. I got to exactly this point 
exactly where the prodigal son had said, I'm not worthy to be here. And we all know the rest of the story. God, the, the father goes, no, 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 it doesn't matter. Come, you take my robe, come in. You know, I'm gonna make you my son. You were dead, but now you're alive. And I thought, you know what, but wait a minute. But what if, what if the son was like, you know, that's great. And I really appreciate the sentiment. But I don't, I'm not really in for the sonship thing. You see, when I left, I burned some bridges. You know, there are, a lot of, there are a lot of hard conversations to have with family members, with people who aren't real happy with me right now. You know, not to mention, there's a famine going on. Once the famine's done, maybe I can go out and do better. You know, I mean, if I save money, I've learned my lessons. Maybe I can go do better. And not to mention, the farm hadn't changed. Nothing was different about the place he'd come home to. It was the same farm. He had reasons to leave the first time. Who's to say those reasons had changed? So what if the prodigal son had just been like, no, 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 I'm good. I'm going to go put my stuff in the workhouse. Uh, we'll work up a, an agreement here in a few minutes. You know, you'll pay me and then everything will be good. And we'll just, you'll be my boss now. And, and we'll, we'll be happy. You know, it sounds ridiculous, but I think when I, when I realized it, I thought, you know, that's exactly what I've been doing for so many years. See, I came back to the church because I knew what it could give me. I knew what it had to offer me. I knew it could give me people to support me. I knew it could give me a family. I knew it could give me, could give me friendship and kindness and support. But I didn't, want, I didn't want to mess with the stuff that I had left with. You know, I had beef with God, and that was not something I wanted to deal with. So every time I came back, I came back and I worked. And I put myself in and I enjoyed the benefits. But it was always kind of with this one foot in, one foot out idea, right? Like just enough to get the stuff I need, not enough to feel like I'm being pulled in. And here's the thing, is it's possible to show up every week, to sing along to every worship song, to serve as a greeter or an usher or whatever, to go to retreats, to go to conferences, to do all of it and never actually approach the throne of God. It's possible. People do it every day. You could come here every week and never encounter your Savior. So I thought about that, and I thought about what if that's what's missing? What if God has called me to be a son, and I said, no, 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 I'm cool being a worker, thanks, so. What more is in the sonship? So I had to start thinking, what's the difference? What is the difference between being a son and being a servant? What changes in my life between those two things? So that's the journey I've been on. So that's what I want to share with you today. So the first thing I want to say, first point is a servant works for themselves, but a son works for the father. I just recently got hired for a new job. I haven't started yet. I don't start for a couple weeks, but already, I've talked to my boss about how much I'm getting paid, any extra benefits I get, my time off, what my duties are at my new job, what my hours are, if I have overtime, how much of it I need, how much of it I get paid for, if there's any bonuses, all that, all my compensation, I know exactly what I need to do to get back what I want to get back. 
That's the way work works, right? Like, that's the way we do work in this country. It may, maybe it's the best way, maybe it's not, I don't know, but that's the way we do it. We put in XYZ, we get back a paycheck. I get paid for what I do. I'm not doing this unless you're paying me for it. And see, this is so common, this is so, so universal that it's begun to seep into every other part of our lives. Relationships that are built on, well, if he does this, then I'll do this. Or, you know, well, I'm not giving you that until you give me this. You know, or last week I did this, and I did, you know, I had to wash the dishes five times last week. You didn't do it once. You know, we built our relationships, these transactionally. Our interactions with strangers, our interactions with people, everything we build is like in a ledger. It's kind of like when I was a kid, when right after my mom died, we moved with my grandparents. And then uh, about a year after that, we moved into our own place. And my dad was kind of single fathering it, you know, doing his thing. And I was the oldest of three kids, so I had to do a lot more. I had to help get kids up, I had to help make lunches, I had to do that. And I felt like, frankly, still a little sore about it, I wasn't getting paid enough. My allowance wasn't reflecting my change in responsibilities. I had taken on a certain extra amount. I deserved an extra amount of allowance. That's the way it works. And so I went to my father. Luckily, in my household, my father wasn't the kind of person who turned you away when you wanted to talk about things. So I went to my father and I said, look, this is what I'm doing. This is what I feel I deserve. You know, and I laid it all out for him. I laid it out in a, you know, I even wrote it down. I spreadsheet, I I went the full nine yards. And to his credit, he didn't laugh me out of the room. He said, he said he'd look at it, he'd think about it, and, uh, and that was that. So I went out and I thought, there's no way he's not gonna raise my allowance, I've got this in the bag. So I came over the next day, a couple days later, he presents me with another piece of paper. And this wasn't a bill necessarily, more of a ledger. And what it was was, it was accumulated cost of everything that he'd spent on me. It was 15 years worth of room and board, 15 years worth of dinners, clothing, school trips. You know, if you have a kid, you know, it's expensive. And he wasn't trying to get me to pay him back. He wasn't trying to tell me, no, 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 if you want anything, you have to pay this. But he was making the point of, I was never going to be the person who had the upper hand in that relationship. I was, he was never going to owe me. I was never gonna make up the amount that my father had spent on me in a couple extra responsibilities that I did for the household. What I did, I did for the household. And what he gave me, he gave me because he's my father and he loves me. And this is the first point I wanna make with this, is God doesn't owe you anything. You have been bought and paid for. God gave up everything. He's already paid everything. There's no world in which you have the upper hand, in which you're in the black in that relationship. He doesn't owe you anything. Now that sounds harsh. It sounds a little mean, I know. But... When we start to look at our relationship with God as transactional, we will always think that God owes us something. When God becomes a vending machine, and I put my $1.50 in, 
if God doesn't make with the flaming hot Cheetos, I'm angry. You know, that's the point. You know, if I put my prayers and I put my service and I put my stuff in and I hit the button for flaming hot Cheetos, God better produce flaming hot Cheetos. That's the relationship. But it's not because God doesn't owe me flaming hot Cheetos. God doesn't owe me anything. And when I understand that, when I begin to live that, what I understand is everything that God has given me, every success, every blessing, every beautiful and good thing in my life isn't because I've done something to earn it. It's because I have a creator who loves me and who cares for me. See, I was looking at God like a deadbeat dad. I was looking at God like someone who owed me something. He hadn't fulfilled his part. When in all reality, he had been giving me things because he loved me for, for so long and I couldn't understand that they were gifts and not payments. When we start to see what God has given us as a gift, we develop gratitude. And gratitude is a soil that joy grows in. When we understand that God doesn't owe us anything, we're free to take the things that he's given us and get joy from those things. And we don't have to hold them too tightly because we know he's a giving God. And we can give up things and we can share things because they're gifts. They're blessings from a father who loves us and isn't going to stop loving us. Okay, so that was the first one. Second one, servants have coworkers. Sons have family. Now, family, I know, is a hard word for a lot of people. I'm super lucky in the fact that my family is great. I'll just, I'll brag on them. For <laughs> my family is great. I love my family. You know, I get, I, I talk to people and they're like, oh man, I'm gonna have to go home for Thanksgiving and so-and-so's gonna be there and it's gonna be a chore, you know, blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, oh, I can't wait to go home for Thanksgiving. Everybody's gonna be there. We're all gonna have a great time, you know. I love my family, it's great, but I know a lot of people have a real hard time with family. Family brings up idea, you know, brings up bad memories, it brings up torn relationships, it brings up abandonment. What if I told you that I could give you a different family? What if I told you that you were created for a new family, a family that shows up, a family that cares about you no matter what, a family that carries each other's burdens, family that supports you. That's who we're called to be. That's who we as a church are called to be, that family. I want to look real quick at, at uh, John 13, uh, verses 34 through 35. A little back, a little uh, setup here. Um, this is there in the upper room. This is the night before Jesus is arrested. And, um, and they're in the upper room. Jesus has got down, he's washed the disciples' feet. They've eaten. And this is kind of Jesus' closing words on the night. This is kind of, he's talking to them. They're about to leave the upper room. This is kind of what he's saying to them. So let's go ahead and read it real quick. It says, a new command I give you, love one another. As I have loved you, so you must love one another. And by this, everyone will know that you are my disciples, if you love one another. I think it's important to recognize that, number one, this is a new commandment. 
Jesus says specifically, a, a new command I give you. And he says that because he's already talked about loving your neighbor, right? Like he's already said, love your neighbor as yourself. And here he's got these 12 guys, these guys who are going to further his, further his message, who are going to take out his church, right? We're going to spread it to the masses. And to, to, to the people outside, he just says, hey, love your neighbor as yourself. But to these guys, he says, that's not good enough. I don't care. You know, I'm not worried about how you love yourself. You love each other like I love you. And how did Jesus love them? He washed their feet. He got down. I used to think he got down from his great position as a rabbi to wash their feet, but he didn't. He got down his position as the creator God to do the lowest job they could possibly do. And then these 12 guys, they weren't exactly supporting him. One of them was about to sell him for 30 pieces of silver. The other were all going to abandon him. Do you think he thought as he was washing the feet of these people how each one of them was about to betray him? You think he thought about how Peter was going to deny him? How Judas was going to sell him for 30 pieces of silver? How everyone else would vanish? He knew it was going to happen. He still washed their feet. He didn't rebuke them for what they were about to do. He didn't tell them, you guys better clean up and get ready. He washed their feet. I think we need to remember that. And then he says, this is how you people will know who you are. The people who aren't here, the people who haven't bought in, the people who don't know me, this is how they're going to know that you were with me. That you are the people who are crazy enough to watch each other's feet. You're the people who will drop everything to serve each other. This is how you'll know me, that you love each other exactly like that. When the church operates as a family, we'll be known by the way that we love each other. We know by the way we show up for each other, by the way we care for each other, we carry each other's burdens, by the way we correct each other. It, it's been a hard week. Um, I remember thinking in the middle of the week, man, this is the worst week to have to preach. There's shootings and scandals and people arguing all over the place about what we're supposed to do about this or this and whether this is the problem or this is the problem and how dare you think that this is the problem when this is really the problem and people have been all over each other and I thought, man, this is a, this is a terrible week to have to get up in front of a bunch of people and talk. But I think this is what we need to hear because the world needs a church that's known for its love. The world needs a church that lowers itself and becomes a servant even when the people we're serving want to destroy us. The world needs a church that's, that surrounds and cares for the oppressed and abused even when what they have to say could damage us. The world needs a church that grieves with people who grieve and don't accuse them of overblowing things or making things worse than they are. The world needs a church that serves, that gets down on its knees and washes the feet of the people who are hurting, no matter what those people are. This, this is how we are supposed to be known. Finally, Servants, they find their value in their work. 
whereas sons find their value in the Father. The first thing we talked about was our relationship with God. How do we relate to our Creator? The second one was how we relate to each other. This one is how do we view ourselves? We were created to need value. We were created to need something to fill that hole in our lives that says, I'm worth something. Originally, that hole was just supposed to be filled by God, right? Like that was the idea. We had a relationship with our creator. The creator gave us value. But something happened. We broke that relationship. We stopped getting that value. And now we get our value from a million different things. You know, over the past year, I've been a teacher and it's been nice to people say, hey, well, what do you do? And I've been able to say, Yo, oh, I'm a teacher. And that, there's a certain amount of pride there because teaching is super hard, as it turns out. This is my first year, and I'm not going back. Um, <laughs> teaching is super hard. And it's, it's, it's getting harder. And people are impressed. They're like, wow, oh, okay, man, you must, be, you, know, you must be special. And, you know, but the idea is, what I really need to say is, when people ask me what I do is, really I, I read, I write, and I play Dungeons and Dragons. That's what I do. That's, but that's not what they wanna know. They wanna know how do I earn money? How am I worth something? What value do I add? And so we're all made to find this value somewhere. Some people, they find it in how much they make, in money. How much they make, how much they have, how much they can show off to the people around them. Some people find it in power. Some people find it in just work. Some people find it in attention or fame. Some people even find it in religion. What their status is, are they more religious? Do they follow the rules better than everyone else? But we weren't built for these things. We weren't made for these things. And the problem with these things is when we rely on them, they are finite. They will run out. If your value is in how much money you have, you will stop, you will run out of money. And then what happens to your value? You know, someone will always have more. Someone will always be more valuable. No, no one will ever fill that hole in you. These kind of things, this, this kind of running for value and things that are finite, it leads to, it leads to comparison. It leads to competition. We fight with each other. We build walls to keep each other out. It leads to jealousy. It leads to hate. It even leads to just evil. How many horrible things have been done in the name of infamy or fame or getting up on someone else? When we, we find our value in the Father, we find our value in the love of God. What we find is a never-ending well of love. In the love of God, there's no competition. There's no need to be ahead of someone else. There's no need to be more important than someone else. There's no need to be someone I'm not. All I have to do is be the person that my creator created me to be. There's no need to look down or exclude anyone else. When we get our value from the world, we work to keep people out, but when we get our value from the Father, we're able to invite people in, into a relationship with the Father because we never need to worry that the Father's love for someone else diminishes his love for us. This may sound like a rebuke, 
Um, it may sound like I'm telling you you're not working hard enough. You know, you're not pushing hard enough. You're not doing the right things. I know. Uh, but it's not. Uh, please don't look at it like that. Uh, what I think this is is an invitation. It's an invitation into something more, to something bigger, to something with more purpose, with more togetherness. I found a family in this place. I found a family that I didn't know I had. And I'm standing on the stage because of people in this church who kept a roof over my head, who picked me up when I was at my lowest and pulled me and said, we're getting you help. I'm on this stage because people cared. And people carried my burdens and people helped me. And those same people are here for you. Those same people are here. I'm not special. My story isn't unique. It's not unattainable. All I did was I came here and I let down the walls and I said, I need help. And I allowed myself to be taken in by a father who said, come in. You were dead, but now you're alive. I allowed myself to be taken in with a father and brought into a family who loved me, who cared for me, and who lifted me up. And there's no way I would be on this stage right now if it weren't for the people sitting in this room. And that's available to you. Maybe you feel like, maybe you've never even this is a new concept to you. Some, I know people who have gone their whole lives and never realized there was something more, an extra step, something they could go further into. But it's here. Maybe you don't feel like you're worthy. Prodigal son sure didn't. I sure didn't. But it doesn't matter if you're worthy or not because God has invited you in. Again, he doesn't, owe you anything. He chooses you. He chooses to give to you because he loves you. Your worthiness never comes into question. He loves you no matter what. Maybe you're scared. God's a dangerous thing. That's the truth. I promise you, if you get close to God, he's going to take you places you don't, you're not sure you want to go sometimes. But I promise you also, beyond that door is a better life than you could ever imagine. And there is nothing that you will ever experience like standing in the place that God has ordained for you and living the life that he has told you that you can live. I promise you. So there are people up here who want to pray for you. Maybe you're hurting and you need someone to carry a burden. Maybe you need help to move to take that next step. Maybe you just want to figure out what all this is about and you're just learning. It's fine. Come up. We're going to pray. We're going to sing a song and then they're going to be here for you. Let's pray. Dear Lord, I thank you so much for your family. And I thank you that you have given us just this place to come to find each other and to carry each other down a, a hard, dark road, Lord, and to carry each other's burdens and to walk with each other. I just pray, Lord, that you would speak to those of us who need so much to find your family right now, that you would be with the hurting, that you would be with the grieving, that you would be with us all as we go forward, Lord. 
I thank you. I thank you for everything that you've given us, all the blessings and all the love. Amen.